Welcome to the North Country Wealth Management Podcast, where we discuss markets, investing, and the headlines that impact your finances. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell any specific securities. Past performance is no guarantee of future results, and all investing involves risk. The views expressed are those of North Country Wealth Management and do not necessarily reflect the views of Mutual Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates. Investment advisory services are offered through Mutual Advisors LLC, doing business as North Country Wealth Management, an SEC registered investment advisor. Hey folks, welcome to episode three of the podcast. If you're at all interested in socially responsible investing, I think you're going to find this two-part episode to be really useful. I'm going to be putting those high school journalism skills to work and will be interviewing a couple of experts on a subtopic of socially responsible investing. Now, socially responsible investing is a big category, and it can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people, but it essentially means investing in companies who share your values. But our world is complicated, and investors have differing values. But nowadays, it's becoming easier and more cost-effective to invest in companies who share your unique set of values. Now, you might not be aware of the massive disruption that's taken place in the investment world, where investors are divesting from mutual funds and reallocating to ETFs or exchange-traded funds. And if you're a client of mine, you've likely participated in this migration from mutual funds to ETFs. ETFs are more similar to mutual funds than they are different. But one of the big differences is that they trade like stocks throughout the trading day, where mutual funds are only redeemable at the end of the day. ETFs tend to be less expensive than mutual funds, and they also tend to be more tax-efficient. And like mutual funds, ETFs come in many different flavors. Each fund will have its own objectives, mandates, or investment themes. And because the barrier to entry is pretty low, there are thousands of different themed ETFs that are now publicly traded. And you'd be hard-pressed to find an investment theme that doesn't exist in the ETF world. And this has paved the way for a new type of socially responsible fund. The new flavor that's out there are values-based ETFs where the underlying investments that make up the fund are supposed to align with the stated value, or cause. Those stated values or causes may be around religion, gender equality, fair wages, or the environment. But for this portion of the episode, we're specifically going to discuss the idea of companies neutralizing their carbon footprint. My next guest is my very own brother, Pete Daring, who's the founder and CEO of Peak Design, one of the world's leading travel and camera gear companies. Welcome to the podcast, Pete. My pleasure, Justin. Good to be here. So Pete and his company are known to be the most successful users of Kickstarter, a crowdfunding site which helped him launch Peak Design. And that topic is probably worthy of its own show. But what we're going to talk about today is the nonprofit company called Climate Neutral that Pete co-founded in 2018. Now, Climate Neutral helps companies measure, reduce, and offset their carbon footprint. And ultimately, companies are granted the use of a label when they've achieved carbon neutrality, and that label helps consumers recognize businesses that have chosen to pursue carbon neutrality. Pete, tell us about the moment you realized that Peak Design, the company you founded, is part of the climate problem. Sure. At the end of 2017, I went to Vietnam and I saw what was essentially one month's worth of raw materials that were going into specifically our bags and backpacks. And it just, it took up such an incredible volume. We were in this large warehouse, you know, 12 foot shelves and all of the foam and fabric 
and webbings that went into our product kind of blew me away. And it was at that moment where I was like, okay, we've always had a little bit bit of an impact, but seeing this here now, I kind of can't do nothing about this. This is a lot. Yeah, I can understand how seeing all those raw materials in one place would be a really eye-opening experience. So tell us about Climate Neutral, the nonprofit you formed. Well, so the first thing I did when I observed, you know, okay, we've already got a lot of materials here. We're pushing a lot of carbon around the world. I wanted to know first, how much is my carbon footprint? Because I had no idea. I may have considered myself environmentally conscientious, but I had really no concept of how much carbon this $30 million of, of, of business was responsible for. So I got back to San Francisco. I looked around and I hired a consultancy called Three Degrees. One of the things that Three Degrees does is they help businesses measure their carbon footprint. I signed a contract with them, which was a not to exceed $40,000. That's, you know, that's not a small deal, but it was important enough for me that I, that I wanted to go through and I thought, well, if that's the cost of measuring carbon, so be it. And as we got into the process, I stayed very close to it and observed that they, for, for very little effort, they were able to come up with a reasonable assumption of our carbon footprint. And what they did is they took economic inputs. They said, how much money did you spend on metal? How much money did you spend on plastic, textiles, shipping, air freight? You know, about 40 different categories. And it's quite easy to come up with this data. And when we submitted that, they said, okay, your footprint is, you know, kind of at first pass, 16,700 tons. And we think that's within about 20% accuracy either direction. And I said, okay, what's next? And they're like, well, now what we're going to do is we're going to, we need you to get us all the factories that you use in the process of making your products. We're going to have to go over there or not necessarily go over there, but we're going to be in touch with them, figure out how much energy they're using, understand their particular energy mix. You know, what are they getting from the grid? Is that grid coal fired? Is it natural gas fired? Basically strap in. There's about to be a shit ton of work that's going to take place um, over the next six months. And it's a lot of work for my team. It's a lot of work for my manufacturers, et cetera. And I was like, whoa, 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 hang on. Like now I understand why this costs $40,000, but like, is all this necessary? I mean, you just told me my footprint is 16,700 tons plus or minus 20%. Can I just round up? And they were kind of like, well, sure you can round up, but what what do you mean? I was like, well, I, I certainly want the certification that says that we have offset the entirety of our carbon footprint. And like, well, we don't really offer that certification. And I, I it, it struck me as strange. Um, it was, it was kind of a, well, why, why not? Surely, surely if carbon is this big issue that the, that we're concerned about in the environment and there's an opportunity to offset one's carbon footprint, I would think that there should be some certification agency that says you have correctly measured your footprint or reasonably measured it at least. And you have offset the entirety of it. And they kind of, you know, I wouldn't say they shrugged their shoulders, but they essentially said that doesn't exist in the way in which you're talking about right now. And I was kind of blown away by that. 
And one of the reasons I was blown away by that was that at the time, at the end of 2017, the average price for a ton of CO2 offset was about $3 a ton. And so what we're talking about is that entire carbon footprint of $30 million worth of business could be eradicated, the, the offset mechanism, for about $60,000, one-fifth of 1% of Peak Design's revenue. And we were already giving 1% of our revenue toward the environment and had this strange epiphany where it's like, how come every business in the world, if like, if, if offsets are real, you know, like that is if, if the carbon that I am supposedly extracting from this atmosphere is actually being extracted. And if the prices are accurate, it's only costing $3 a ton to do it. And if carbon simultaneously is this existential problem that the world is facing, how come every business in the world isn't doing this as like the first measure of responsibility? And that is the question that I leaned into really hard, which ultimately led to the formation of Climate Neutral. Right. And, and you guys are a company that is actually uh, pretty carbon intensive. Uh, you're a manufacturing company. So naturally, you guys are going to you know, extract a lot of materials from the earth, which is a, a carbon intensive process. And you put that carbon dioxide in the air. Now, tell me about some of the science of carbon offsets. I think a lot of people don't quite fully understand you know, I, I think they do understand that carbon, how carbon dioxide gets into the atmosphere, but how do you actually remove it? Well, this is, uh, that people are right to be a little bit confused about this because it's not incredibly straightforward. I'll give you a couple examples. Okay. Let's talk about afforestation. That is the producing of forests where there new, where there were no forests before. Imagine a chunk of farmland that is no longer producing great yield, or even one that is producing great yield, okay? Um, but generally speaking, you wouldn't do it on a productive piece of farmland. But imagine there's farmland out there, which with the proper soil amendments um, and with it being designated to grow trees in, you can all of a sudden grow trees. So afforestation is a certain type of carbon offset. You're intentionally growing a forest where there was no forest before. Had you not paid somebody to secure that land for the purpose of building this carbon sink, building a forest, if you hadn't paid somebody to amend the soil and plant the trees and make sure that these things have reasonable survivability, you would not have a forest there. However, by buying via the carbon credit, um, the amount of carbon that that forest will sequester over the course of its lifetime that is a carbon offset. Is that a fairly clear example? It is. And I, I think uh, I think what a lot of people don't realize is that trees are essentially made of carbon, right? Carbon and water and oxygen. What, what are the components of a tree? Uh, well, they're, they're a hydrocarbon. Um, and so it's hydrogen, carbon, and oxygen are the essential elements that go into it. I mean, there there are all sorts of different hydrocarbons within trees, the structure of trees, the lignin that binds things together, the cellulose that makes up the building blocks of the walls. But all of these things are laden with carbon. All of that carbon is literally extracted from the carbon-rich atmosphere 
that we have here on planet Earth. Um, it's a miraculous thing. And you know, let me con- let me contrast that to a different type of carbon offset, which is certainly an important field of study right now, which are called negative emission technologies or NETs, N-E-T's. Negative emission technologies are literally sucking in air, running that air against a catalyst that will cause the CO2 to be extracted from the air and basically wind up on these mesh screens as actual carbon products, like a graphite. Um, It's kind of hilarious because, you know, to run these nets, which of course are at the beginning stage of development and of course will improve over time, but it's very energy intensive and they are carbon negative technologies, which means that well, they are so long as you have a power source that is that is clean. Generally speaking, these nets are set up around hydropower facilities or geothermal facilities where there is an abundance of clean power to run these things. But nature-based solutions like afforestation, um, like there, there are these machines that are called trees that literally suck carbon from the air already. And so... You know, it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see as technology evolves, what component of carbon sequestration is going to be done by these nature based solutions versus these negative emission technologies, which are in the very early stages of ramping up. And I don't pretend to know which of these are going to sort of be our savior. And the fact of the matter is, it's probably going to take a mixture of all of these carbon reducing technologies, inclusive of growing trees, um, in order to to handle the carbon load that we've already put up there in the atmosphere. But the beauty of the carbon offset mechanism and, and, and moreover, the voluntary carbon market is that I, Peak Design, as someone who purchases carbon credits, I don't actually have to care. I don't care which technology reduces carbon I care that I am putting money into a market which creates demand for carbon reducing technologies and that there is then a price and that price is like that, that commodity that I'm purchasing is a ton of carbon dioxide reduced from the air, a TCO2 or CO2E. I can also take methane out of the air and that has the effect of actually taking 28 times as much CO2 out of the air because methane is a more potent greenhouse gas. It is, it's slightly unfortunate that it is hard to explain this all to your standard consumer. And that's why I think climate neutral is a really important thing. Being certified climate neutral is a label. It's a, it's a label that is supposed to be as black and white as anything else. And what it, what it says to the consumer and what it says to other brands is, did this brand pay for its carbon? If they paid for it, they get the label. If they didn't pay for it, they don't have the label. And it is the principal mission of Climate Neutral to see that as many companies as possible begin to take financial responsibility for the carbon that they put up in the air. And it's beginning to happen. Yeah. 
I do think it is a hard thing for a lot of people to understand. One of my favorite examples is, you know, I think they call it like the geological calendar. And, you know, if you take the Earth's 4.5 billion year geological history, you'll find that humans have been here a really insignificant amount of time. So if you were to scale down the Earth's existence to one calendar year, you know, a period of time, which we can all relate to, you can better understand our impact. So if it's midnight on December 31st right now, and we're looking back at the calendar year, life shows up pretty early, something like February or March. But the dinosaurs don't show up until late December. And the event that forced their extinction, which was about 200 million years ago, happened on December 26th. And humans showed up about a half hour ago at 11.30. And suddenly we started burning fossil fuels about three seconds ago. And in those three seconds, we've managed to burn a quarter of all fossil fuels. And those fossil fuels represent hundreds of millions of years of, you know, decomposing organic materials, right? That's essentially what a, what a fossil fuel is, right? That's right. And we've essentially burned those things, uh, you know, a fourth of these, of these uh, fossil fuels in the blink of an eye, essentially all at once. And I think when you frame it that way, it's pretty obvious that there's going to be a significant cost to doing that. And the benefit that we've gotten from fossil fuels is super clear, right? I mean, we've, <laughs> we've accomplished so much, uh, you know, since we started utilizing them. But the cost is a little bit harder to measure. And I think that's what climate neutral does, right? It helps quantify the cost of putting these carbon dioxide or these fossil fuels or, or, or hydrocarbons into the atmosphere. There's kind of two approaches to putting a price on carbon. Um, there is the kind where you say, what is going to be the cost to society of not doing anything about climate change? And this is, to, I mean, like, it's an incredibly complex tabulation. It is the cost of building a bunch of seawalls. It's the cost of mass migration. It's the cost of having to adjust agricultural techniques in order to keep up with a rapidly changing climate. Um, it's un untold amounts of, of cost. And fortunately, you know, there are Nobel Prize winning economists who have taken a crack at figuring out what these costs are. But there is also the cost of mitigation. Right. There's the cost of, OK, those those are the damaging costs, which which we as a society will incur if we do nothing to act. But then what is the cost of mitigation? And this is the the, the price on carbon that climate neutral exists to create. And the way we're doing it is by bolstering this voluntary carbon market. We are creating a price on carbon. We are saying that. We acknowledge as a responsible business that it is not free to take carbon out of the atmosphere. And moreover, that it is our responsibility not to continue contributing to the future costs of unmitigated carbon by saying, okay, if we put something up in the air by floating a bunch of product across the Pacific Ocean on a freighter that puts, you know, bunker fuel up into the air, we are going to intentionally grow some trees somewhere else in an equivalent amount in order to reduce that carbon. 
And what we're trying to say is that this ought to be the minimum threshold for responsibility. And any company that's out there right now trying to claim they're going to go carbon neutral in 2025 or 2030 or 2040, I'm, I'm, I'm frankly quite enraged by these companies. Why on earth would they delay? In some cases, people have this notion that they as companies will figure out how to eradicate the, the initial use of carbon from their supply chain. But I think that there's, there's so much hubris wrapped up in that. You know, supply chains are not going to change overnight. We're not, the year 2025 isn't going to arrive and suddenly we will have switched over the electrical grids in China and India and other places where goods are manufactured to be coming from clean power. Now, in part, they will be switching over. We're installing renewable capacity, but it does not happen overnight. And mining operations and shipping operations, these things aren't going to become clean energy overnight. And if you're a brand that's making blue jeans, your ability to get Maersk shipping line to install nuclear reactors on their, on their ocean freighters is zero. And so this notion that, that companies can kind of of their own, mm. own volition eliminate their own carbon footprint is baloney. It's going to happen in time as society coalesces around carbon-free solutions and the responsibility of each individual company in the meantime ought to be to pay for that transition. I've dealt with so much negative blowback in terms of getting climate neutral going from what I call kind of people who consider themselves to be more hardcore environmentalists who take the notion that we shouldn't be offsetting our carbon. We should be not putting carbon up there in the first place. Frankly, that's just ridiculous because we have <laughs> humans are not going to take a step back into the stone age. This is not something that 7.4 billion people are going to voluntarily choose to do. We will not choose austerity. And if your hope is that people are suddenly going to uh, go back to an agrarian, you know, society on their own. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. And, and, and furthermore, I think it's ridiculous that companies or that, that, that sort of environmentalists point the finger at companies saying, you should figure out how to reduce your carbon. Take peak design for an example. We are experts at making tripods and backpacks and cell phone gear. And we are also experts, we'd like to think, at marketing those things. Are we in any way capable of being experts at extracting carbon from the earth? No, we're not. We're also not experts at sanitation removal. We pay a company called Waste Management to take care of our sanitation. We pay a company called Maersk to ship our products across the world. We pay a company called Shipwire to warehouse and distribute our products. We are not experts in any of these things, and we don't seek to be experts in them. We are also not experts in carbon mitigation, and who would expect a 40-person company to be experts in carbon mitigation? 
We would we should pay somebody else to remove our carbon for us. But the critical point is that we should pay. And companies that aren't paying to do this right now, these are the bad actors. Mm -hmm. Those are great points. What I love about uh, the the company is that you guys are essentially uh, using a, a, a capitalistic approach to solving one of these massive problems because the government has been pretty slow to act. I'm sure you get a little frustrated that you're not getting a little bit more help from the government, that the that the government isn't incentivizing better behavior when it comes to uh, your carbon footprint. No doubt. The government's cowardice on this issue has everything to do with the notion that, look, enacting a carbon tax across all industries in only one country, but not having other countries partake is going to be a little bit like kneecapping one country's ability to perform commerce versus another's. And so I think that lack of sweeping government action comes from the lack of a worldwide body that says, okay, swallow hard, we're going to commit to this. I also think it's worth noting that like the whole world can't solve the carbon problem simply by buying voluntary carbon offsets. The reason that peak design can afford to do this right now, and the reason that the airline industry is going to be able to go carbon neutral is because of the 55 billion tons that we put out there in the world right now, we're talking about 200 million or so being kind of handled by the voluntary carbon offset market at this point. Now, there is optimism that about 10 billion tons annually could be handled by a voluntary carbon market. And that's about a fifth of the problem. But you do have to understand that you know, we're nowhere close to having a supply of 10 billion tons worth of carbon offsets out there. And it's like all things, it's a market that needs to mature at you know, kind of at the rate that supply and demand dictates. So, you know, I, I, I make that point to be clear, like if someone with a discerning ear might be listening and saying like, wait a second, you can't just pay $3 a ton and plant all the trees in the world. We're, we're going to run out of places to plant the trees. And that's accurate. After we're done with planting all the trees to a reasonable degree, you know, the cost of planting trees is going to go up because the cost of acquiring that land is going to go up. You move on to the next technology. And the next technology might be building battery banks at the base of solar, uh, you know, adjacent solar and wind installations so that they can more credibly remove coal or natural gas from a baseline electricity load. The beauty of the voluntary market is that it, it, it continues to pursue the next most readily available technology, and it's all governed by cost. So, so if I'm a company, you know, I have to worry about a 50,000 ton uh, footprint to, to wipe out. All I need to do is approach a carbon offset broker and buy those carbon offsets at the price that they're currently trading at. It, frankly, it needs to be simple for companies. I get a little bit frustrated because some people seem to seem to think that like if it's simple, there's something problematic about it. I just that couldn't be further from the truth. 
It needs to be simple. We simply need dollars headed toward carbon mitigation. You know, I, I actually uh, noticed when I went to visit you last week, uh, and by the way, a disclaimer, the reason I was visiting Pete during a and, and flying on an airplane during a global pandemic is because I was helping him recover from double hip surgery, something that uh, you probably all know that I've had since I overshare. Um, but anyway, I, I noticed when I, you know, I booked my, my Delta flight that I had the opportunity to offset my carbon footprint. And it was like $3.50 just to fly out to San Francisco. That's all it cost. And, you know, it would be great to see, you know, that option a little bit more front and center. It was sort of buried on the website, but it actually described the project and it described the method in which I'd be offsetting uh, that, that, uh, that, that airplane flight. So I thought that was really neat and uh, is, a great start at making uh, this a simple process. You know, that is really neat. And I think that there will come a time when, you know, we don't, similar to like, we don't have to explain climate change to people, like how or why it's happening. We, we also will not have to explain how carbon offsets work because it become part of the public understanding. Um, we're a little bit of ways away from that, but all of these efforts are helping. Pete, thanks a lot for coming on the show and uh, offering up your explanations. Uh, it's a great topic and we'll have you on again sometime. Sounds good. Um, I really appreciate the chance to get to kind of explain this to, to an engaged audience. So thanks for taking the time to do it. All right. Take care. <laughs>